This is AWLS, Podcasts on Wilderness Medicine, from the University of Utah School of Medicine. Hi everyone, welcome to the AWLS Podcast. My name is Alex Sharmos. I'm an emergency medicine physician based out of Southern California. Today I'm going to share a story of a climbing trip I went on in July of 2018 into the Bugaboos, which is in British Columbia, Canada. Now this area is known for its tall granite spires that rise up out of glacier ice fields. It's a very striking area, and if you're a rock climber you might have heard of it. Our objective was to climb the Becky Chenard route, which was uh, put up in 1967 by Fred Becky and Yvonne Chenard. It's on the South Hauser Tower, which is one of the more remote uh, peaks that are in the area. It's considered one of the 50 classic climbs of North America. It's a grade four to grade five climb, meaning that it takes about one to two full days in order to climb it. Uh, It's based on technical difficulty, remoteness, and how long the climb is. Uh, It was rated 510, and it's uh, 15 pitches of about 2,000 feet of climbing. So there was four of us on the trip. We divided ourselves into two groups of two for the climbing. We had about a five-hour approach to our camp on the first day. The next morning, we got all of our gear ready, put our crampons on, got roped up, and climbed up a coal called the Bugaboo Snowpatch Coal. We then traversed a glacier called the Val Glacier, which brought us to our first objective, which was the Pigeon Spire. This is a nice warm-up climb. It's rated 5.4. It's about 1,500 feet, and a lot of it just has to do with uh, traversing ridges with a little bit of technical climbing. This was a good opportunity for us to employ some of our simul climbing techniques and just kind of overall acclimatization to the environment and to the conditions. We set up a bivy camp that night on a flat boulder, and then the next morning we dropped down the Pigeon Hauser Coal and then crossed another glacier, the Bugaboo Glacier. That then brought us to the base of the South Hauser Tower, which involved a lot of scrambling, fourth class and fifth class scrambling. We then got to the base of the climb and roped up for the proper technical climbing. Now, my partner had been struggling a little bit with the weather and the altitude and just overall fitness level and was ultimately just ascending up the ropes behind me, uh, which is an okay technique to use. However, we were doing uh, some ridge climbing And when you are using ascenders on a fixed rope, it does increase the risk of uh, rope abrasion and rubbing and potential rock fall, depending on how clean the technique of the ascender is. Our plan was to go about 10 pitches up to a nice bivy ledge and we were going to spend the night, uh, then wake up the next day, finish the climb, and go back into camp. After climbing the ninth pitch and securing the rope, my partner started to ascend and then called up to me that he had been struck by a rock on the forehead. He was able to lower himself down to the belay ledge, at which point I rappelled down to him and, based on the assessment, realized that he was displaying mild concussive symptoms. He did not sustain any loss of consciousness. His GCS was 15. Although in the field that can be a little tricky to utilize the technique, we tend to use something called AVPU, which is gauging somebody's level of consciousness on whether they are alert, which is A, if they can respond to verbal stimulus, which is V, if they respond to painful stimulus, which is P, or if they are completely unresponsive, which would be U. He was alert and oriented to himself, situation, date, and time. 
He was complaining of some dizziness and a little bit of a headache, had impaired decision-making capacity, but was not altered. And besides a small abrasion on his forehead, there were no other signs of injury or trauma. The two other climbers in our party had already made it up to the top of the 10th pitch where they would be sleeping for the night. And fortunately, we had radios, so we were able to explain the situation to them. We ultimately were stuck with the possibility of four decisions to make. The first decision would be to use our Garmin inReach to call for help, which is a very, very useful tool to have in the backcountry. It's a satellite GPS that gives you the ability to pinpoint location and send uh, messages to rescue services to explain your situation a little bit better. Option two was to have him ascend the ropes up the next two pitches to the bivy ledge and spend the night and reassess the situation in the morning. Option number three was to repel the entire route and retreat and try to get back to our base camp. And option four, which we ultimately decided upon, was to have him stay on the small belay ledge where he was and to keep a fixed rope up to pitch 10 where we would be spending the night with a radio uh, to communicate with him as well as to have food and water set up for him and all of his sleeping equipment. Now, had we decided to have him come up to the bivy ledge with us, it would have involved taking his gear up for him, fixing uh, the ropes with some sort of pulley mechanical leverage system, so a 3 to 1 or a 5 to 1 pulley system, and helping him get up to the ledge, which was about uh, 200 feet above us. This was a smart option, however, it involved a lot of physical exertion from the standpoint of the patient as well as us, the team. And so ultimately, he decided to stay on the bivy ledge, and this ended up working out rather well. Although unfortunately, the ledge was too small for any of us to stay down there with him. We did have communication with him overnight, and in the morning, we reassessed. Unfortunately, the quickest way out was to finish climbing the route and then rappel off the backside, crossing a Bergschrund and then another snowfield back to base camp. We decided ultimately to rappel the route, which involved rigging rappels for the patient in the sense that we had him set up for the rappel before we left each pitch. And so one person was going down, clearing the rappel ropes. We then monitored his rappel from the start and the end of each pitch. And he was pre-rigged with a third hand, which is a rappel safety measure that uses a prussic or similar type of auto-blocking technique to make sure that if he lets go with his hands that he's not going to slide down the rope with his rappel device. Eventually back on the ground we still had quite a bit of work to do. We had to traverse the Bugaboo Glacier and then go up a very rocky and icy couloir to the Vowel Glacier and then cross that and then descend another couloir back into the main camp. So being as there was four of us, we decided to rope up for the glacier travel. And just to touch upon the fundamentals of glacier travel, you generally want to rope up in groups of three to five. The decision to rope up as a party of two is certainly possible, although it can be dangerous, in the sense that one person to help self-arrest a falling climber into a crevasse might not be able to self-arrest. In this scenario, you'd be tying alpine butterfly knots in the middle of the rope to help break, uh, causing extra friction. If a climber were to fall into a crevasse, it helps you with your self-arresting. In a party of three to five, it's typically not needed to use these uh, breaking knots. 
if you use more than five people in a rope party, it can create this slinky effect, which can make the uh, tension of the rope so variable that arresting can be difficult as well. So we kept our injured climber as the third party in the rope team, and we navigated the glaciers without much issue. However, at the end of the day, our team was getting pretty tired from all the exertion and ultimately decided to unrope. I was outvoted three to one on this, and we ended up having to navigate the rest of the glacier field on foot by ourselves. Now, it was a pretty hot day at that point in the afternoon in the sun, and the snow was pretty soft. As I'm walking about 200 meters or so from the descent couloir, my foot punched through into a crevasse and I immediately flattened myself out like a pancake and crawled forward several feet. Uh, then looking behind me and seeing about a two to three foot wide crevasse that went down as far as the eye could see. At that point, my adrenaline was through the roof and I was uncontrollably shaking and my heart rate was pretty sky high. I called out to the rest of the team what had happened and they decided to rope up again and they crossed the crevasse without much issue. At that point, we descended the couloir back to our initial base camp and the next morning decided the best decision would be to pack up our belongings and head back into civilization. I hope this trip report can serve as a cautionary tale. Ultimately, everything went well. We all left unscathed. There were many lessons to be learned, and I think it highlights the importance of decision-making on the fly, as you have to deal with individual circumstances, and no two incidents are the same by any means. Had his injury been more serious, we would have had to either deploy the Garmin inReach or work on retreat even sooner that night, or had I fallen into the glacier, there would have been several repercussions there. I'm not quite sure how that one would have worked out. But my team was very aware of the poor decision to unrope, and this was a very important lesson that I wish I had learned a different way. Fatigue can cause impaired decision-making, stress can cause impaired decision-making, and being outvoted by your team members can also cause you to do things that you wouldn't normally do. I would encourage any of you who go on expeditions to do debriefing after any trip you have, whether things go seamlessly or you have near misses such as our trip, or if something goes wrong. It's important to debrief and understand where you can make improvements and what things went well as well. I wish you all safe adventuring in the future and thanks for tuning in.